Good Monday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seville Show. Thank you kindly for joining us live in our building, the Macklin Building in downtown Charlottesville, where we're currently remodeling a dentist's office and turning it into six executive offices. If you need an office space, let me know. June 10th, six of them come online, fully furnished, tin fiber internet included, and literally on the downtown mall. Um, all right, a lot I want to cover today. I want to talk about media in Charlottesville and Central Virginia. Cindy Schuler announced over the weekend that she is getting the hell out of the Daily Progress newsroom. I used to work in that newsroom. I used to work at NBC 29. I used to work at Monticello Media. I've freelanced for a number of media outlets, and it's time to discuss the state of news in Central Virginia. I want to talk about the value of the Daily Progress. What is it actually worth? I want to talk about how we can improve news coverage locally and what is the role of the wealthy in news coverage in Central Virginia. What is the role of nonprofits in news coverage in Central Virginia? Do you like the direction that Seville Tomorrow, the nonprofit news organization, is heading here in Charlottesville? All those topics and more on today's program. I want to talk about the Board of Visitors meeting from over the weekend. The UVA Board of Visitors legitimately is discussing... um, Tracking professor, UVA professor, and UVA student political ideology, where money is donated, and how they go about um, their perspective and outlook on topics like diversity, equity, inclusion, and politics. I want to talk about that today. The Board of Visitors tracking ideology of professors and students and whether or not that's a good idea. That seems like a mess waiting to happen, but I'll tell you why on today's program. I also want to talk Kellen Squire and Amy Lawfer. There's not a doubt in my mind that in this HD 55 race, this delegate race in the 55th district, there's not a doubt in my mind that Amy Lawfer and Kellen Squire have absolutely humiliated the Almaro County Democratic Party. In fact, there was an article in the Daily Progress over the weekend. Um, it was written by Cindy Schuler, interestingly. And one of the head honchos within the Almaro County Democratic Party literally said, this has become a shit show. And I've been saying that all week long. So the phrase I've been using all week long on social media and on this talk show is literally the phrase that a head honcho of the Democratic Party in Almaro told Cindy Schuler over the weekend. So we'll talk about that. I continue to hear Steve Harvey is getting in the mix. Denver Riggleman, people close to him, are talking and encouraging him to jump in the game. That topic on today's show. I also want to discuss on the program um, Sarah K. Harris. Did you Google Sarah K. Harris, Almar County Public Schools? Yeah, I haven't found much. I want... Sarah with an H, K. Harris, Albaro County Public Schools. That's literally what I Googled. When you click that, um, the third link down, uh, you will see um, some content from her. Actually, it's a... Let me see if I can find it. Go Sarah K. Harris, ACPS. Let's try this. Here's why I'm bringing this up. Over the weekend, she talked about, I I, I cannot believe I'm 
even talking about this. But someone, she, she is a former teacher. She's on the Amarillo County Public Schools Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. Um, she's on this uh, transgender um, committee. Um, and, and, and she posted over the weekend on her Twitter account. I was absolutely flabbergasted by this. I was frankly hesitant to even bring this up. I was so flabbergasted. But I think it's paramount and, and, and important for us to discuss topics like this when you have people that legitimately are on DEI committees and transgender committees then going on social media saying, if you want to talk, this, this is crazy, Judah. I'm going to read her tweet directly, okay? She said, over the weekend, for, and, and this was about, say the word for me, indoctrination. What about it? Indoctrination. She said, are the schools, are the, the parents that are talking about our kids getting indoctrinating in schools, are they ever going to get around discussing the Pledge of Allegiance? She legitimately is calling the Pledge of Allegiance indoctrination. I want to unpack that. If that's not a microcosm of where we are with public schools, I don't know what is. How can the Pledge of Allegiance be brainwashing, indoctrination? I, I, I'm flabbergasted by that. I, I, I'm taken aback by that. I find it as patriotic. I find it as, 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 as rallying or educating or, or informing our students of, of their duty as American to be proud to live in this country. I'm a proud American. When I stood and put my hand on my heart in the classroom as a kindergartner, first grader, second grader, third grader, fourth grader, I was proud to do the Pledge of Allegiance. It's not brainwashing. Let's talk about that on today's show. Also on the program, there's a new business opening on the downtown mall, Sabre Games and Cards. Sabre Games and Cards in the old Newtown Fitness spot on 4th Street. Judah, let's go to a two-shop. Um, we'll welcome you. Vanessa Parkhill, Johnny Ornalis, welcome to the show. UVA Board of Visitors, we had an idea this was going to come, but I didn't think it was going to come like this. Glenn Youngkin's got some heavy hitters on the Board of Visitors. Razorblade Ellis is one of those heavy hitters. We knew Razorblade Ellis was going to very much send shockwaves to the Board of Visitors, Judah. Um, another Glenn Yunkin appointee, um, Douglas Wetmore. He's the senior vice president for uh, business development um, at a health solutions company. He was appointed by Yunkin last year, and he questioned the UVA's diversity dashboard and why it does not include assessments for students or faculty ideologies. So at the Board of Visitors, this is the group of heavy hitters, wealthy folks, President Jim Ryan was there as well. They legitimately had a conversation of tracking UVA students' political ideology and UVA professors' political ideology to the point of donations to political parties and campaigns. Bacon's Rebellion, um, baconsrebellion.com, it's a blog that talks about, that spotlights democracy. The author, James A. Bacon, he wrote this today. Judah sent me this link. 
Um, the Jefferson Council has published data showing that the University of Virginia employees have donated to Democrats over Republicans in recent years by ratios of 10 to 1 and 20 to 1 in presidential elections. So I'll give that stat again. The Jefferson Council has published data showing that the University of Virginia employees, UVA's employees, have donated to Democrats over Republicans in recent years by ratios of 10 to 1 and 20 to 1 in presidential races. So here's the question, and this is legitimately something that's being discussed. Should the University of Virginia, when they hire professors, or should the University of Virginia, with its current staff, ask its professors, what is your political ideology and where are your donation dollars going? Furthermore, should the University of Virginia, when admitting students to this university, should they ask the students they're admitting, what is your political ideology and how would you donate? The concept here from Razorblade Ellis and the concept here from uh, the Richmond um, businessman Douglas Wetmore is we want a university of, of ideologies on both sides of the aisle because that will spark debate and offer challenging perspective for everyone, which is what they say college is all about. So I'm kind of setting the stage. I'm going to give you my opinion in a matter of moments. You jump in here anytime you want, anywhere you want to go. Here's the gist. Board of Visitors, Razorblade Ellis, Yunkin appointee from Georgia, Douglas Wetmore, Yunkin appointee from Richmond. BOV meeting this weekend. They said we should start tracking UVA students and UVA professors' political ideologies and their donations to ensure that this university is as diverse as possible with ideas percolating on both sides of the aisle. I can't wait to dig into this. Well, I didn't take it that they were all advocating for that so much as they Did you were... read the Daily Progress article from Hall Spencer that covered this directly? No, I haven't read that one. Okay, you should read that one. Okay. Because that's exactly what they're talking about. Ellis and Wetmore are legitimately advocating... Here's the quote from Wetmore. How come we don't have dashboards that track, for example, the political ideology of faculty? Why wouldn't we do that to try to convince ourselves that we have balance and that we're serving the full range of needs from our constituents as a leading public university? Bert Ellis immediately backed Wetmore's suggestion and said he wants to see robust debates at UVA that can only happen with a diversity of viewpoints and opinions. Razorblade Ellis says, you can't have those if everyone has the same views as you. It's no fun to debate with people that have the same opinions as you. So that's literally what they're doing, Judah. Okay, I'm all for uh, I'm all for diversity of viewpoints. Um, I don't know if uh, I don't know if tracking uh, teachers or students' political ideologies is going to be very helpful in doing that. I mean, once you know those the answers to those questions, do you then start uh, firing people or disallowing certain people from entering the school because you already have too many? I mean, I would love for there to be uh, diverse viewpoints across the spectrum in the school and for be people to be able to talk about whatever they want to talk about and get into robust discussions. I don't know that tracking ideological backgrounds of people is going to, uh, to help facilitate that. Um, all right, here's my thoughts. I, w I went to UVA. Chris Boyce, John Blair, welcome to the show. Um, UVA is undoubtedly left-leaning. Yeah, I spent four years there. It's left-leaning. 
It's gotten more left since I was there, undoubtedly. My dad went to UVA, my brother went to UVA, other family went to UVA, multi-generation, the Miller family at this university. There's no doubt in my mind from when my dad went there from 68 to 72 to when my brother graduated in 2005 that Thomas Jefferson's university and its political ideology has gotten more left. Ellis and the Richmond businessman um, Wetmore are Yunkin appointees. Yunkin is a conservative. Yunkin is even trying to um, add the opportunity to diversity, equity, and inclusion. He's not even crazy about the DEI moniker. I will say this. If you are getting into the personal business of professors and students and politics is personal, then you're going to open a Pandora's box that's going to be an absolute mess. And I'm not sure if Ellis and Wetmore are going to use this tracking of ideology as a foundation to maintain um, a better sense of political diversity with its hires at UVA. Maybe that's the mission. But if you're a leader in your field in academia and you're in science or engineering or math, whatever the field is, and you're a world-class performer, and many of UVA professors are legitimately world-class in their field, and you're asked by UVA before you take your job, what are your politics, where your campaign dollars go, and how are you going to maintain or help us ensure that this university is going to be as diverse in thought, you may consider not taking that job. If an employer of mine, and and I've been self-employed for 15 years, but if Monticello Media or Daily Progress or the NBC29 ever said, Jerry, on this application, before we hire you, we want to know how you voted and who you donated money to, I'd have pause before joining that team and taking the job. Because if an employer is asking about your politics and where you donate your money to, what's going to stop that employer of asking, who do, you have, who do you have sex with? Who do you sleep with? What kind of content do you watch? What do you read? I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm a libertarian. I'm a small business owner. I'm a guy who believes in less government. I'm a guy who believes in finding new ways to tax the population besides rooftops and businesses. I'm a guy that doesn't want the government in my life. I want autonomy. And if the University of Virginia is saying, hey, Professor Elzinga, or Professor Sabato, or Professor Van Langren, <coughs> Professor Hopkins, Dr. Patrick Hopkins, what is your political ideology? Who did you vote for? Republican or Democrat? Trump, Clinton, Trump, Biden. Where'd your money go to? What's going to keep that same board of visitors or that same university to say, Who'd you have sex with last night? Do you read the Bible or not? Do you watch pornography? You give an inch, people take a mile. And tracking ideology and politics and campaign donations seems like it's way out of line. Hmm. And I'm the first to admit that the University of Virginia has gotten extremely liberal extremely liberal. And higher education breeds liberalism. It's proven. It's fact. Look at it. Research it yourself. 
But I don't think there's, I think there are much better ways to ensure diversity in thought than getting into people's personal business. You can do diversity in thought by launching new curriculums and classes. You want to get more diverse in thought at the University of Virginia? Perhaps you consider a government track or a political track that is birthing and manifesting students that carry that mindset. Asking Ken Elzinga, an esteemed economics professor, who you voted for in a presidential race, would piss off Ken Elzinga. This is an interesting tidbit for you. This is according to the blog Bacon's Rebellion, who's covered this Board of of Visitors meeting extremely well. The Jefferson Council has published data showing that UVA employees have donated to Democrats over Republicans in recent years by ratios of 10 to 1, 20 to 1 in presidential elections. That's public record. All right, your thoughts, viewers and listeners. This is from uh, Vanessa Parkhill. Um, And KTP, we'll get to your comments as well. I see a lot of parents in Amar County watching. Guys, we're going to talk about the Pledge of Allegiance here and somebody on the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Transgender Committee, a former teacher, and her thoughts on the Pledge of Allegiance on this program. Um, This is from Vanessa Parkhill. She says, if the intent of tracking ideology is to diversify the pool of students and professors, that could be interesting. I doubt that is the intent. What is the stated intent? To only bring right-thinking people onto campus? Scary. Better solution than tracking people's ideology? Eliminate the diversity dashboard altogether. Eliminating the diversity dashboard altogether. Your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I think that uh, I think that part of the problem is that we're looking so intently at all of these things and... uh, if you if you take a if you take a natural uh, what's the what I'm looking for if you take a natural spread of people from a population you're more likely to run across the entire spectrum if you're not looking for anything in particular um, and I think if you start looking at all these I, I think it's right uh, if you start looking at this what are you gonna what is how is that going to help the the diversity of the school the diversity of conversation and um, and discussion is that go is that actually going to produce the desired results or are you just going to end up yeah alienating people alienating teachers if uh, I don't the reason I don't think the teachers ideologies professors really matter is because if they're doing a good job then they are not the ones that are they're the ones that probably are introducing diversity into the conversation as counterpoints to what may be uh, we we you say that uh, that UVA and higher education breeds uh, breeds what did you say liberalism yeah high, higher education breeds liberalism people know that is it is it as is it as much the school is breeding that as it is that younger Younger, uh, younger st- uh, students, younger people are just more inclined to lean in that direction. The point being, how are you going to force diversity? That's part Here's, of the problem. Go ahead. Part of the problem with the DEI is you can't force diversity. And if you tell people that they are... How, what do you mean you can't force diversity? That's exactly what university is doing. 
They are forcing diversity. They are prioritizing minority applicants over white applicants. That's forcing divorce diversity. I was talking about in, in discussion and conversation. Okay, but, but they can force diversity. They're trying to do that with their student body. They're also doing that with, the, with, with who they, whom they hire. And the Board of Visitors meeting, another thing, that, another topic that came up in this BOV meeting is the University of Virginia is, is prioritizing a more diverse staff of professors. Its goal, its priority is diversity with its staff. That's one of its priorities. So that's forcing diversity. It's not necessarily a bad thing to force diversity. Okay, but I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't talking about it in, in those terms. I was talking about it in terms of, of what you discuss and what, I mean, I don't have a problem with, uh, with diversity. And if we're talking about, if we're talking about what, racial makeup? Is that what you mean by diversity? Uh, I mean, that's the definition of diversity, racial makeup. That's the first definition. No, it's not. But uh, you don't think the first definition of what diversity is when people think is race is 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 skin tone. If we're talking about a specific, if we're talking about a specific version of diversity, yeah. But the word itself just means diversity. It doesn't have anything to do with race. Um, Katie Pearl, there is very little diversity of ideology and thoughts on UVA grounds now. I doubt that's how Thomas Jefferson intended it. My concern is that students and potential employees would be terrified to answer honestly, agreed, if they were conservative, since most of the staff making decisions about their admission or employment are liberal. Great point by her. Um, she even says, I worried that this idea would backfire on conservatives, even though the intention is to help them feel safe, like they can have a seat at the table. I also agree with that point. Bob Yarborough on another Facebook page, he's the king of Redfields. Bob Yarborough is a man of very measured thought. I respect what Yarborough has to say. He says, this sounds insane and extremely dangerous. The most dangerous idea I've heard uh, in a long damn time, and I'm old as dirt. Bob, you're not that old. And you have the spirit of a zillennial. Um, I, dude, I, 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 Razorblade Ellis and, and, and Wetmore, the Richmond businessman, this concept scares the bejeebus out of me. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I don't even often identify with libertarian in some circumstances. I'm just the party of common sense that don't want people in my life telling me what to do. And, 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 and I, I, I believe that us as people, when given the chance to do good, most of the time we will. Most of the time we will. To track, a, let's go the student route. If you were filling out an application to go to UVA and they said, what is your political ideology? And if you were a student that wanted to go to UVA, and you were a Republican, a bedwetting Republican, would you put it on the application that you were uh, super conservative? Like Katie makes the point. Or are you fearful that the school, which you know is Democrat and its foundation, would keep you from entering? Would you be scarlet lettered? That's a better question. Would you be scarlet lettered? A follow-up question to that would be, a professor who openly identifies as a conservative or a Republican at the University of Virginia, 
because they're trying to track ideology. And maybe this professor says or she says, yes, I'm a Republican. Here's who I donated to. Would that professor be scarlet lettered by their colleagues, by their peers? Would that professor have he or she their, propo- their promotional opportunities, their vertical opportunity to climb the professional ladder? Would that be stifled or diminished? Because so many folks around them don't match ideology, don't match with the same ideology? It's an interesting question. Uh, it sounds like some of this is already readily available. Um, but I think tracking, I, I think, I think in this... And, and when, go ahead, sorry. I, and, think, I think in this climate, starting to track, like... Stuff like that. I, I, this is private I just shit. Don't see it. I this don't is see private it business. To a, leading in a good direction. I this is. I, I cannot believe the university that I I I, I dearly hold. I, I bleed orange and blue. And I cannot believe this university that I hold so dearly would even consider this. We have to be very cautious when entities of power start inquiring about our pillow talk and how we vote and where we allocate the money we earn and what content we choose to read and watch. If this entity says, who'd you vote for, Biden or Trump, and how much money did you donate to either campaign, what's to keep them from asking what your sexuality is? If Razorblade Ellis and the businessman from Richmond, Wetmore, say we want to know people's politics because we want a more diverse community, is the next question, we want to know people's sexuality because we want a more diverse community? This comment just comes in from a mom that's watching the program. She asked that I not use her name. She says, my son would not stand a chance if this was the case. White conservative, Republican, male. Another friend of the program, I'm not going to use his last name, just sent me this text. Jeff, Jeff, I love when you watch the show. He says, got to love big government Republicans. That's what Razorblade Ellis is and Wetmore, the businessman from Richmond. And that's legitimately the difference between me and why I don't identify with this party anymore. I frankly don't even recognize these parties anymore, people. I don't even recognize the parties anymore. Yeah. The Republican Party and the Democrat Party, Democratic Party have become caricatures of their former selves. You literally have some of the most prominent Republicans in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And Razorblade Ellis is on the Board of Visitors for a reason. Actually, he's from Georgia. Okay? This guy from Richmond is, is a prominent Republican. Youngkin appointed these dudes. Legitimately, on the record, with media covering this, saying, I want to know students' politics and professors' politics. Jesus. And another thing, have you guys noticed that the value proposition of a college education is starting to diminish? And many people have said, this system is completely broken. We're coming out quarter million, $300,000 in debt at 7% interest rates, and we're taking jobs that are forty dollars or $50,000, and it's going to take us our entire life to pay back this student loan? People are saying college is no longer the future. You start adding these... Bo- employees aren't 
employees aren't paying more, but everything is costing more. So, yeah, uh, the like you said, the uh, um, the, co- the the return on investment just isn't there for, you, for colleges anymore. You the return on investment isn't there for students in college anymore. And then you start adding this piece, this soap opera. This young and the restless, this as the world turns, hey, you're going to go a quarter million dollars in debt if you go to UVA. That interest rate's going to be seven and change. You're going to come out at a fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollar job. You're going to be paying off this student loan debt well into your forties. Oh, and by the way, tell me your politics. Who did you vote for? Who you sleep with? What content do you watch? What kind of pornography are you looking at? And you think I'm hyperbolic? You know, I'm exaggerating here. This is the beginning of questions like that. The beginning of questions like that. Bill McChesney, exactly right. It's none of your business. Remember when we were growing up, ladies and gentlemen? You know what my parents taught me when I was growing up? My mom and dad said, Jerry, you don't talk about politics and religion. Don't talk about politics and religion, Jerry. You don't talk about politics and religion. Remember that? When our parents were taught that? Now politics may be a question on your application. 2023, baby. 2023 in Charlottesville, Virginia. I'll get to all the comments, and they're coming in fast and furious. I got a lot of content that I got to get to today. Mondays are always busy because... We have the weekend of stockpiling information. Sarah K. Harris just tweeted at me because evidently she's been told that she's going to be discussed on the program. So, Sarah, I have to ask about your tweet. You're legitimately on the DEI Transgender Committee for Albemarle County Public Schools as a volunteer. You're a former ACPS teacher, and you tweeted 19 hours ago, are the schools are indoctrinating our kids, folks, ever going to get around to discussing the Pledge of Allegiance? I responded to her, how is the Pledge of Allegiance indoctrination? I, I mean, I'm looking at it right now because I'm honestly curious. Like, have I missed something? She um, is on the committee. And, and, and Sarah, you're welcome to come on the program. You posted this on Twitter. You're on the committee that is DEI, transgender policy, helping lead ACPS into this 2023 DEI world we live in. The Pledge of Allegiance is not indoctrination. It's called patriotism. It's how we educate our youth on what it's about to be an American My mom, born in Cuba. My grandfather and my grandmother, born in Cuba. You want to know who the most proud Americans are? The ones who've given up everything in life to move to this country. You talk to a Jonas Smith, Keith Smith's Better 7 eights, and there's no prouder American than Jonas Smith, who moved from behind the Iron Curtain, communism, to come to America for freedom. My mother, in third grade, was told by my Mima and Poppy around midnight to put as much as she could in a backpack. We're leaving Cuba to go to Miami because we're fearful of Castro and his communist regime. 
My Mima and my Poppy were active in politics, and they were the type of people that Castro was killing. So Mima and Poppy went from an upper-middle-class life where they were engaged and active within their community to telling my third-grade mother, who was nine years old, get a backpack, put everything you can in it, we're leaving our house and all our friends and family to go to Miami, Florida, where Poppy was a ditch digger, Mima was a hotel maid, and my mom was put in the third grade in an English-speaking school without being able to speak English. I tell this story all the time. This topic comes up from time to time in our household, and my mom to this day gets emotional when, when talking about third grade, fourth grade in America as kids ridiculed her in English. She had no idea what they were saying, but she knew they were making fun of her. But then you talk about America with my mom, and there's not a more proud American than this woman who literally gave up her entire life and her friends, and her family, and was told by her mom and dad to put everything she could in a backpack, and anything that didn't fit in it, leave it. You won't see it again. You tell that to a nine-year-old? My, I don't know if moms and dads, I'm getting emotional right now. Moms and dads are watching this program. Your kid is five, six, seven, eight, nine. How many five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds understand the concept of put everything you can in a backpack, anything that you can't fit in the backpack you'll never see again? My oldest son is five. He's got a favorite stuffed animal. It's almost a comfort blanket. His name is Hop Hop. Our oldest son loves Hop Hop. Say Hop Hop doesn't get in the backpack and is left back home in Cuba as she makes it to Miami because she's woken up and has to do this in half an hour or less because they didn't want to tell her in advance for fear that she would spill the beans. So they literally did it with a 30-minute window because they didn't want my mom telling other people. What if mom had not have grabbed Hop Hop and put Hop Hop in the backpack and went under the cloak of darkness on a boat from Cuba to, to Miami? And then when she got to Miami, she realized Hop Hop was still at, in Cuba. How do I explain that? How did Mima and Poppy explain that to my mom? How could I explain that to our oldest son? Words matter. You taught me that. Words matter. And when you're on the committee for diversity, equity, inclusion, when you're a former teacher, when you're on the transgender policy committee, Sarah K. Harris is. Look it up. And you tweet 19 hours ago, are the schools, are indoctrinating, are kids, folks ever going to get around to discussing the Pledge of Allegiance? She's now backpedaling from this. She says, I didn't say it was, I just asked a question. I didn't take that initial tweet as that, did you? Seemed a little odd. 2023 in Almora County Public Schools. There you go. That's a microcosm. Katie Pearl says this, my brother from Florida came to visit and we took him to Monticello. After watching the little 10-minute video before getting on the bus, he looks at me and goes, wow, they make Thomas Jefferson look like an asshole. That little intro video has definitely changed in the last 10 years I've lived there at Monticello. Hmm. Albert Graves says, don't forget the indoctrination, star-spangled banner, where in 2023 you're wrong for being a proud American. 
There's a difference between patriotism and indoctrination. And if our teachers don't know the difference, should we not be concerned? If the committee members that are leading DEI efforts and transgender policy implementation do not understand the difference between indoctrination and patriotism, should we not be concerned? Should we not be concerned? Fired up tonight. Make sure you're rotating those lower thirds, please, sir. Let's do the Squire Law for Embarrassed, the Democrats one. Anyone that's watching this program, if you have not had an opportunity to read the article by Cindy Schuler on the 55th District race that was published 17 hours ago, please do. The headline's called Experts, Politicians Weigh In on the Law for Squire Race. Cindy Schuler, by the way, has since resigned from the Daily Progress. The entire copy desk at the Daily Progress has quit or resigned within the last year. We're going to talk about the state of local media here in a matter of minutes. Cindy Schuler wrote a great article. I'm going to cut to the chase. Both Amy Lawfer and Kellen Squire have undoubtedly humiliated the Almero County Democratic Party to a point where an unnamed Democratic Party insider, a heavy hitter, and I actually know who this person is because I had the conversation with this person, literally was quoted by the Daily Progress as a source as calling this race a shit show. I had the conversation with this person over coffee last week, and I said, your race is a shit show. Talked about it on the show all week long. Put emojis all over social media. Poop show. Now in the newspaper. Steve Harvey is contemplating a run. Steve Harvey, whether he jumps in as an independent or Republican, will make a significant difference. Will Steve Harvey run as an independent or will he run as a Republican? My instinct says probably an R. His best chance of winning is an I. I've had a couple people reach out to me around the Commonwealth who have indicated they're encouraging Denver Riggleman to run. Denver Riggleman, remember, he was jettisoned from the Republican Party. Why, Judah? Uh, because he, because he uh, helmed a wedding of... Uh of, uh, wasn't it uh, a wedding between two, uh, two same-sex people? Denver Riggleman was jettisoned from the Republican Party in the Commonwealth of Virginia because he officiated a same-sex wedding between two men. Yeah. One of them who had been a key contributor to his campaign for a long period of time. And Congressman Riggleman, being an upstanding, just good guy, said, yeah, dude, I have no problem being the official at your wedding. You've helped me so much with my campaign, it'd be my honor to marry you guys. You know why? Because Denver Riggleman doesn't care who people have sex with. He doesn't care who people have sex with and what they're doing in their bedroom. Denver doesn't care about people's church and their religion and who they pray to and who their God is. Denver goes about life as a small business owner that doesn't want the government in his you-know-what, wants to find different ways to get tax revenue so we're not burdened as citizens, as Charlottesvillians, as Virginians, as Americans. Mm-hmm. Denver, when it's all said and done, is a centrist, a guy from the party of common sense. And I'll tell you right now, a precedent has been set in the Commonwealth of Virginia. 
And that precedent was initially set by, what's his name? Was it Tom Garrett? Tom Garrett was a former member of the House of Representatives that got into the state game in Richmond. And Tom Garrett said, look, I've done the big time politics, and then I'll go back to the Richmond politics. Will Riggleman do the same? And if Riggleman gets in this race, I bet you 100 bucks he wins it. Yeah, I can see that happening. I bet you 100 bucks he wins it. Denver, get in the game. Lawfer and Squire have humiliated this district. Read the article in the Daily Progress and look how absolutely moronic Kellen Squire looks. I'm going to read three paragraphs from this Daily Progress article from Sidney Schuller, a handful of paragraphs. The Democratic Party in Virginia's 55th House District surrounding Charlottesville has gone from a relatively quiet contest to a level of mudslinging that has captured the attention of local leaders, Richmond politicos, and national lobbying groups. The campaigns of both Lawfer and Squire have been called messy, risky, and misleading. And while the, Democratic, while the state Democratic Party has said it remains entirely agnostic to any of the elections and does not take sides in primaries officially, one party insider who has to remain anonymous was more blunt. This race is a shit show. I know who this person is. The show began when the Daily Progress was contacted in mid-May by Emily's List, a fundraising juggernaut dedicated to electing women who back abortion rights. The group said it was concerned about posts Squire made on the liberal-leaning Daily Cost blog in 2017 in which he calls himself unashamedly pro-life. When, con- when confronted with his previous comments, Squire provided a number of explanations. Here are the explanations Kellen Squire provided, okay? At the time the posts were made, Squire was running for delegate against the heavily favored and ultimately victorious Republican Rob Bell. Squire told the Daily Progress that the posts were both a failed attempt at catering to voters in a much redder 58th district suggesting the posts were genuine outreach to more conservative voters, and also some form of democratic counter-operations, in order to bait Republicans into attacking him, suggesting the posts were not sincere at all. Can you, does that make sense to you? I'm going to read this paragraph again and help me understand what Colin Squire is telling the Daily Progress. Squire told the Daily Progress that his abortion posts, where he said he was pro-life, Years ago, he said these posts were both a failed attempt at catering to voters in a much redder 58th district, suggesting the posts were genuine outreach to more conservative voters, and also some form of Democratic counter-operations in order to bait Republicans into attacking him. What the hell does that mean? I like the other explanation better, but yeah, this just sounds sounds like... He doesn't have any, any what the hell does that good mean? way of explaining what the, what the heck that was all about. What did he just say there? there are, listen to this. Listen to this. When a Twitter user that same year, so when a Twitter user, he left the tweets on his account. That when a Twitter user in 2017, you with me, Judah? 
Yeah. In 2017, a Twitter user asked Kellen Squire what made his different, what made his platform different from major Democratic planks. Squire replied, "Quote a bunch, but probably most notably, I'm unashamedly pro-life and pro-Second Amendment. It used to be about Russia foreign affairs." What used to be about Russian foreign I, affairs? What is this dude doing? Uh, yeah, I honestly don't know. And in 2017, he's got tweets on his account that straight up say he's unashamedly pro-life that he did not delete. I mean, like I said, I, I've seen explanations that uh, talked about that being, you know, that being... That having a good explanation. Now I'm not so sure, and and everything that you've read just sounds sounds uh, hokey, absurd, yeah. ridiculous. The yeah. definition of moronic. One of the worst campaigns I've seen run. And then you get Lawfer, Amy Lawfer. Someone tag Amy Lawfer. Someone text Amy Lawfer. Someone call Amy Lawfer. Amy Lawfer, you need to hear this. Did you know Amy Lawfer at one time was the head of the Almora County Democratic Party? Chairwoman? She was the chairwoman of the Almora County Democratic Party for a handful of months. Resigned for this race. Amy, listen. Your track record for winning races is pretty bad. You lost the Nakaya Walker. You've really only been on the school board. When you're trying to throw shade and mudsling on your opponent, I would consider going through a third party. It's called Politics 101. That way, the backfire and the backlash doesn't implode all over you. Utilize a third party to do your mudslinging. I have a feeling you're going to lose this race. And I have a feeling you're not going to see the writing on the wall that you've lost your last three after you lose this one. And I have a feeling you're going to try to win something else. When you run yet again, learn from this. And don't do the mudslinging yourself. Find an independent third party not tied to your campaign. So when it backfires, your Teflon and your distance from the implosion... Neither of these candidates should be elected. Callum Squire and Amy Lawford, neither of you should be elected after this. You're acting like children. Amy Lawford and Callum Squire, you're acting like children. Neither of you should be elected. This is who we want in Richmond, determining women's reproductive rights. This is who? Right. Use a third party to do your mudslinging, Amy. You're going to lose this race. You legitimately are going to lose your race to an emergency room nurse that looks like a flip-flopper and is using conspiracy theories to justify pro-choice, pro-life proclamations on social media accounts and in blog posts. That's how bad a campaign you've run, Amy. Ridiculous.
This is 2023 in Charlottesville, Virginia. In 2023 in Charlottesville, Virginia, Razor Blade Ellis and a Richmond businessman called for the University of Virginia to track the political ideology of professors and students and where their donation dollars go. 2023 in Charlottesville, Virginia, Amy Lawford and Kellen Squire humiliate the Albemarle County Democratic Party. 2023 in Charlottesville, Virginia, a member of the Albemarle County Public Schools DEI and Transgender Committee is calling the Pledge of Allegiance indoctrination. This is 2023 in Charlottesville, Virginia. Ah, I'm a mother. Carajo. All right. Let's talk media. Um, Cindy Schuler quit. Daily Progress staff writer. Schuler, how long were you on the job, Sydney? Not even a year. The entire the entire um, copy desk at the Progress has quit in the last year. The state of media in this community is probably the worst it's been. I've been in here 23 years in Charlottesville. My first job in uh, Central Virginia, first job was actually at Ruby Tuesdays. Paid my way, paid for most of college as a host, busboy, and bartender at Ruby Tuesdays in Barracks Road. I think it's now Chopped, the salad place. I used to walk from Lambeth Commons or from Phi Kappa Psi on Rugby Road to uh, Ruby Tuesdays to work host jobs or bartender jobs or waiter jobs. I remember a couple times um, the fraternity I was in, Phi Kappa Psi, it's the big fraternity at the end of the Mad Bull on Rugby Road, the iconic white one. It was a great time. But UVA is a wealthy school, okay? I didn't have a lot of money. UVA is a wealthy school. A lot of my friends came from serious money. So Oftentimes, while I was working on like a Saturday or Sunday, a lot of my fraternity brothers would come into Ruby Tuesdays, sit in the booth, and get hammercock wasted as I served them. It was an incredible um, awakening for me as I saw the difference between um, those who had money and those that didn't at UVA. Here, I'm trying to bust my tail to pay for stuff, and these guys are coming in with their parents' Amex, dropping like 80, you know, 65, 80 bucks on Ruby Tuesdays mega margaritas. Mm. $65 for me at the time probably was food for five days. And here these guys are dropped. They tipped me well. I didn't care. It was a little bit embarrassing serving my fraternity brothers at 20 when I was a waiter. They heckled me a little bit. But it was all said and done. It was fun and games. They knew I was going to hook them up. I knew I was going to get hooked up by then. And we had some fun making, making the end of the shift, making my way to the end of the shift. My second job was at the Daily Progress. Rising third year, I took a job as a part-time writer. I got paid 30 bucks a story covering sports under Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. You got $30 a story plus mileage. My first assignment, I still have the newspaper article, was um, a Covenant girls volleyball game. Worked at The Progress five, six years. Worked at NBC 29 five, six years. Worked at Monticello Media five, six years. Monticello Media is a radio station, home of Hot 1019, um, 99.7 CYK, the country station, uh, and a talk radio station. 
1400 WKV where I would host a talk show. So I got intimate intelligence on Monticello Media, NBC29, and The Daily Progress. Furthermore, are we on a one-shot? No, uh, we can be. No, no, let's keep it on a two. This, this, this behind me, VMV Brands behind me, this is the advertising agency we own. We have 103 active clients on our roster. And this advertising agency is managing the advertising dollars of our clients to the tune of somewhere between $240,000 to $280,000 a month. There's no larger buyer of advertising inventory in this 300,000-person market than me. We use our purchasing power of all these 103 clients to secure the best rates possible for our clients so they save money on the front end on their ad campaigns by allowing me to negotiate their rates and they get more inventory in the back end. No one's allocating more ad dollars in this market than me. I offer that knowledge for you as a foundation for the analysis I'm about to do on local media here in Central Virginia. Cindy Schuler announces over the weekend that I'm so grateful I decided to move to Charlottesville nearly a year ago. Even more so, I'm so grateful to The Daily Progress and to Reynolds Hutchinson for giving me a, giving me a writer's home with so much opportunity. With that being said, today is my last day at the paper. I am not, however, leaving Charlottesville. I'm so excited about the ways I will continue to stay and serve this community. The Progress writers are quitting the newspaper in under, the year, under a year and taking a job at Almaro County like Allison Rabel is or at like UVA Media Relations like Brian McKenzie has done or Whitelaw Reed. Hell, the managing editor when I was at the Daily Progress, McGregor McCants, he was the managing editor, the boss of editorial at the newspaper when I was writing there, he also works for UVA. They're getting out of the news business. So we have this question, what is the state of news locally? And I would say if I was grading the state of news locally here in Central Virginia, a 300,000 person market, I would grade it as maybe a D plus or a C minus. And why I grade it as maybe a D plus or a C minus is because we don't have timely news. Holly Foster sent me a Facebook message. Did you see the message from Holly Foster? What did that message from Holly Foster say, Judah? It uh, said, uh, thank you for giving us the news. Uh, we see it eventually in other places, but uh, it's, it's nice to get it in a, timely, in a timely manner. Literally what she said. She said, the Lawfer Squire thing came out in the Richmond Times-Dispatch on Sunday, but I've been listening to it all week long on your talk show. Thank you for that. The Progress is thinking about sending news through the United States Postal Service, the newspaper. How are you going to send a newspaper through the post office and maintain its timeliness? Yeah. I, I, seriously, I, can you help me? I mean, you can... Uh, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, what do you do? You print a, print a paper and then uh, spend how long getting it to the post office and then the post office has to... Has to uh, disseminate it, distribute it. John Blair says this. Love you, John Blair. 
Jerry, here's an interesting question for tomorrow's show. Albemarle County has a population of 113,000 and has some of the wealthiest and most influential people living within it. He talks about Smith, Bills, Wendell Wood, Dr. Charles Hurt, Gilliam. There is not a single legacy media reporter on the Albemarle County beat that I am aware of at this time. Augusta County has a population of 76,000 and has two legacy media outlets that covers it the Waynesboro News Virginian, and the Stanton News Leader. It also has the Augusta Free Press devoted to Augusta County coverage. The Augusta Free Press isn't quite legacy, but it's established and been around for over a decade with some major advertisers. How is it possible we've heard a lot about the issues at the Progress, but simple demographics market size would tell you that something bigger is afoot when Augusta receives that type of coverage and Almora has no legacy media? It's a great question. Gentrification. I don't think it's gentrification. I have an answer. If you could update the lower third on screen, that would be appreciated for the media one. And I don't mean a... Which one? Go with the... uh, If you want to put a lower third on screen, I would put uh, analysis of media around Seville in Central Virginia. Explain what you meant of gentrification. And remember, we have a 2 p.m. TV commercial shoot, which means we have to get out of here in approximately six and a half minutes, but my car is parked right there. So what I meant by gentrification, and I was going to ask how much gentrification the uh, Waynesboro, uh, Stanton have, have been seeing, because, uh, because of the mention of, uh, of all, the, um, all the people that are making a lot of money in this area, that, uh, I believe John Blair mentioned something about the, uh, uh, the influx of, of people with a good amount of money. And I think I think the issue there is that they're not always buying the things that uh, if you if you get rid of all the all the middle and lower class people, you're not going to end up with people who are spending the same amount of money as all of those people uh, at in the same places. Um, so you're basically losing more than just you're basically losing more than just diversity or whatever you want to call it. Um, you're losing people that are, you know, going to buy local and, you know, spend their money on the people around them. And you get this, uh, you get this uh, different class of people that isn't as, they're not worried about uh, the things that other people are worried about. And they're not spending their money on the things that uh, other people are spending their money on. Wealthy people still want to care about, care about what's going on in the community. Sure, they might. Wealthy people care about development and government and happenings and comings and goings. Some of them do. You can maybe even make an uh, argument that um, as professional sophistication and as wealth increases, your attentiveness to news may be even greater. I'm not sure what attentiveness to news has to do with it. When you were 18 to 25, did you care about news? Now that you're in your 40s, you care much more. Why? Because you're emotionally and physically invested in this community. Are we just talking about? Are we just talking about buying newspapers right now? Chris Boyce, welcome to the program. Here's my take of local media. NBC 29, where I used to work, pays its reporters and CBS 19 such little money that they can't afford to 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 stay any longer than two years. 
You stay two years, you get some experience, you go to a bigger market where you more, earn more money. The daily progress pays even less than the TV stations. You don't have any institutional memory because there's no legitimate pay for these reporters. They're living below area median income. And as you live below area median income, you get frustrated and say, this job sucks. So you find a different career path, and then the outlets are left hiring rookie cub reporters yet again. To John's point, he says Augusta has all these media outlets, and it doesn't have the depth of wealth or sophistication that, say, Albemarle may have. Yet Augusta has a handful of outlets covering it with a vengeance, and Charlottesville can't even have an Albemarle Beat reporter on it. Allison Rabel said on Twitter, maybe we need a, um, a wealthy business person to purchase the Daily Progress. What's the value of the Daily Progress? You have a declining readership. You're cutting your print product from seven days a week to three. Your online subscription is so expensive no one can afford it. And the brand equity behind the Daily Progress is as weak as I've ever seen in my 23 years in this community. People are downright laughing at this platform. What are you buying here? If a wealthy person wanted to come in and preserve news, what would they purchase? They'd purchase the archive and the brand and the social media channels and the subscriber base that's declining. What's the value of something like that? I say it's next to nothing. They don't even own the real estate anymore of where the newsroom is housed in. A wealthy person's not going to come in and rescue the daily progress. A wealthy person could come in and invent a new brand from scratch. But buying a brand that's distressed and a shadow of its former self that has diminished equity and goodwill is not a good move. The future of this news business, I'll say it once, I'll say it again, is a handful of people, Yumi, Molly, Sean, Neil, that have their pulse on community endeavors and utilize social publishing outlets to get that word out to people. I'm also, and I'm going to be straightforward here, at one time, Charlottesville Tomorrow, which was a media outlet founded by friend of the program, Brian Wheeler, at one time, Charlottesville Tomorrow was a legitimate, legitimate land use, development, government, comings and goings, zoning outlet. But Charlottesville Tomorrow, you know what it's more focused on, Judah? What is Seville Tomorrow most fo- focused on now? Uh, diversity, equity, inclusion? I don't know. That's it. It's the theme of the show. Charlottesville Tomorrow is a nonprofit. And as a nonprofit, it needs fundraising dollars to keep its lights on. Charlottesville Tomorrow realized with its business model that if it starts going after diversity, equity, and inclusion content creation, then it could start going after these nonprofit dollars that are in the space for DEI. So you went from a Charlottesville Tomorrow with Brian Wheeler and Sean Tubbs that was hard news, government, land use, zoning, development, to a Charlottesville Tomorrow that's pursuing nonprofit dollars and fundraising tied to DEI just to keep its lights on. 
Giles Morris, the former managing editor of Charlottesville Tomorrow, made that change of its business model. And that's when Sean Tubbs got the hell out of Charlottesville Tomorrow and launched his business. Now let's talk about Sean Tubbs. He's probably the best reporter on the beat. Sean knows Albemarle, he knows Charlottesville, and he has the institutional memory. Sean is a content-creating machine with yeah. Town Crier Production, Charlottesville Substack, Info Charlottesville, and all the other brands he has. Mm-hmm. Sean can put out content, he follows real estate, he follows zoning, he follows development, and he does it as well as everyone. But you know what Sean is not? He's not a salesman. He's not a businessman. And I know he's going to hear what I'm saying here. Sean is not a businessman. And I don't think Sean realizes this yet. You know what his number one role is in the position he is in this company? Go ahead. Business. It's not content. His number one role? His number one priority with the business he's in right now, Town Crier Productions, his number one priority is not content creation. It's ad revenue and the business. He's prioritizing the content creation over the ad revenue and the business. And that's why the business is not at the point where it needs to be. That's why he's got roommates and why he's openly putting on Facebook he's struggling to pay for things around his house. His content is gold. Sean, you have some of the best content in Central Virginia, dude, if not the best. You need to partner with someone who understands business. If not, you're going to just create content for a silo of people. Few people that will read it. They'll love it. But not for the masses. And the likelihood of that business model surviving is not great. It's not great. Especially as the the economy is getting crappier, this economy is getting crappier. People are cutting. They're cutting Netflix, they're cutting Prime, they're cutting subscriptions, they're cutting overhead. I don't think the... What is the value of the progress... I mean, I haven't seen the books, but I can't imagine the value of the progress is anywhere near, what, 100,000, 200,000? What is the value of the progress? Good God. I think the best way to get news would be to do a... uh, The best way for this community to get the news that it wants would be some kind of strategic partnership with key players in this industry that do things well. Molly does things extremely well. Content creation. Molly Cogner, socialist dog mom. She does not have business. She's not a businesswoman. She gives away most of her content for free on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Sean's a phenomenal content creator, but he's not a businessman. You need somebody like an ad agency with 103 clients pulling the financial resources into a platform where the content can then live. 
Uh, all right, it's 18 minutes, and I got to go. I'm 18 minutes away from 2 o'clock, and I got a TV commercial shoot at 2. How long do you think it takes us to get there? Probably should go right now. All right, that's the show. Yeah. The comments I didn't get to today, I apologize. I'm going to read the comments after the TV commercial shoot, and we'll apply them to tomorrow's show. We're so freaking busy at this company, guys. So freaking busy. For Judah Wickhauer, I'm Jerry Miller.